Welcome to the Woodland Heights Baptist Church Sunday Talks podcast. Sunday Talks is a weekly roundtable discussion about theological and cultural topics. For more information and show notes, visit whbcconway.org forward slash Sunday Talks. Here's your host, Pastor Larry Watt. Welcome to Sunday Talks. This is our seventh in a series of ten we're doing on the subject of Christian doctrine, talking about what the Bible teaches and we as believers believe about some specific doctrines, some of those foundational doctrines of the church. We've talked about being created in the image of God, about creation, revelation, uh, some of the really essential things that I think every Christian ought to know and ought to be growing in their knowledge of. And tonight we're coming to a topic that is is uh, rich. It's also uh large and so we're just going to touch the surface on this but i hope it encourages you to dig in a little bit deeper we're going to talk about the cross of our lord and savior jesus christ um we will deal with this and and why it's necessary how what it means for us and what it means uh for god and uh what it means how we how we apply this in our lives Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says god demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners christ died for us. Great verse of Scripture. In fact, there's plenty of passages in Romans about the cross and its significance. And when we think about the cross, um, certainly in our culture, we see crosses everywhere. They're, they have become a symbol. They're a logo. They become uh, maybe just a, a piece of jewelry somebody wears. But we know that ultimately one of the significances of the cross is the suffering that Jesus went through, the physical uh, beating, the brutality of that, and then the brutal death that he suffered. And while that's very important, and I think every Christian should know something about that, I'm not going to spend time on that tonight because I want to get to some of the theological uh, purposes behind the cross. But I do want to offer to you a couple of uh, resources or suggestions to learn more about what Jesus actually went through. I do think that's helpful to you. The first is one that probably many of you have seen. And if you have it, I would encourage every believer at one time in your life to sit down and watch the film, The Passion of the Christ, the one that Mel Gibson did several years ago. Um, I will never forget going to a movie theater and seeing that. I think it's one of the most vivid portrayals of what Jesus went through on the cross. And uh, again, it's called The Passion of the Christ. You can rent it. You can probably, on a lot of streaming services, you probably could even download that at home. Again, I I believe that's important to know uh, what Jesus went through. But again, we're not going to spend time going into some of those details. What I do want to get into is why was the cross necessary? Uh, This wasn't just uh, an act of, of Jews or Romans punishing Jesus. It wasn't just something that would God doesn't say anything or do anything without meaning and purpose. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, we find really the meaning in, it wrapped up in those two verses. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. There's two things in those two verses that just speak to why uh, the cross was necessary. One, one, it was in accordance with the Scriptures, that this was part of God's plan. Old Testament began with Adam there was a need after the after the fall 
for uh, justification, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, from that point on, the sacrificial system was in place, and so it was in accordance with the Scriptures that Christ died on the cross. And then the second part of that is that He died because of our sins. Sin has a price. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. And so Jesus died for our sins, and His death was on behalf uh, or in place of us. And so so the rule is, according to Scripture and God's law, is that if we sin, we are deserving of death and we should die. But it was Jesus who is the sinless one died in our place for our sins. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus was willing to take our place and he took the penalty uh, for our sins. In theological terms, we talk about it being a substitutionary or vicarious death. It's placed solely on, on, on him for our benefit, and he has no benefit that he gets from the from the crucifixion. We find that the cross of Jesus to be at really at the apex of, of the good news. It's everything comes around that that event of the cross where Jesus atoned for our sin according to the promises of Scripture. I just use that word atoned, and I want to explain that now. Jesus' work on the cross is called atonement, uh, or sometimes it's it's broken down as at onement. At this moment in time, God did this through Christ. And here's what he did. Jesus became a man in order to restore the relationship with God and man. And the concept of him dying in our place and paying that penalty for our sins, in theological terms, is sometimes called a penal substitution. And just simply means, we think about this, sometimes we refer to a prison system as we call it the penal system. It's punishment uh, for for uh, breaking laws and, and committing crimes. Jesus took on that punishment as a substitute for us. That's penal substitution. And he was willing to pay the price for our sins and take that penalty upon himself. That's, that's why the cross was necessary. And those two things are connected. The cross and crucifixion are directly connected with the fulfillment of the Old Testament event uh, called the Day of Atonement. If you go back through Leviticus, you'll read about the details about that. In Exodus, it speaks about that as an annual event on this day, which is oftentimes recalled to in the Old Testament as just the day. It was such a historic day, an annual day that was of importance. Sacrifices were made, and on that day, the sins of the people of, the, of Israel, the Jewish people, were atoned for. So it had a great significance. What would happen on that day, real simply, would be that the priest would take two healthy goats that were without defect, that were spotless, that were blemished, the best of the best. Those two goats would then bear the the uh, sins of the people. One of them would 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 take actually the become the sin offering. That that goat would be murdered. That goat would be killed. And the blood of that goat would be spread across uh, the temple, and particularly in as going into the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. The blood would be placed there, uh, reminding us that though this this uh, lamb or this goat was innocent, that his blood was spilt on behalf of the people as a sin offering, as a payment for their sin. And uh, again, this was done at the temple during this time of sacrifice. The second animal. Uh, the high priest, again, going as a mediator between God and man, would take this second goat, this healthy goat, without blemish, without spot, and it became a scapegoat. And over that goat, he would he would confess the sins of the people again. The, that goat would be 
run out of the city, would be taken out of the town, and would be taken off into the wilderness and go on its own. In fact, we use the term scapegoat now for someone who takes the punishment of, of others. And so in the same way, both of these represented uh, the sacrifice of, of, of for sins and also the, the uh, uh, reconciling of God and man. When you read that, and especially you read it from a New Testament perspective, you see that Jesus... He became our scapegoat. He became the sin offering force. He fulfilled both of those. And when you when you read the details about the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, and you also read the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you find that this book, of, uh, besides all the wars and all the fighting that go in the Bible, the Bible is a bloody book. It's it's about a lot of bloodshed, starting from the very beginning when an animal was sacrificed to 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 uh, uh, for on behalf of the sins of Adam and Eve. Blood's all over through the Bible. 362 times in the Old Testament we find the word blood. 92 times in the New Testament. In fact, blood in the New Testament is mentioned more than Jesus' death and the cross. Oftentimes in the New Testament, the word blood is used referring to the death of Christ and how He died. So those Old Testament sacrifices, again, you go back and read Leviticus, you'll find uh, the priest and all, the blood would literally flow out of the temple. There was there was uh, uh, great great bloodshed and blood. The reason it's significant is because it's sacred. The Bible says that, and we know this, that there's life in the blood. We can't live without the blood flowing through our body, and that blood needs to be healthy. Um, these sacrifices symbolized that that life had to be taken to atone for sin. That it was life for life. And uh, in this bloodshed that happened throughout the Old Testament, 11 different uh, sacrifices were made in the Jewish temple. And uh, to, to, make it, to try to make these sacrifices uh, appeal to God and to appease God, yet, yet we know that none of those fully appeased Him. None of those, none of those would, would be effective for more than a year, and so they would have to go back and do these again. The whole sacrificial system, though, was a shadow of, of what Christ was going to do on the cross. It all pointed to that. It was bringing us to that. So that when I believe he was the really the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament prophet, John the Baptist, in John chapter 1, the Bible says when he saw him coming, he made this statement introducing Jesus to the whole world. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he is, he is, the connection is made that he is this sacrificial lamb. New Testament writers echoed this throughout the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Under the law, almost everything is purified in blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It goes on to say uh, in, in another passage, You are ransomed for the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the Lamb without blemish or spot. You really can't understand the cross and what Jesus did in the New Testament without knowing this, New Te- this Old Testament background of the t- Day of Atonement and the Old Testament sacrifices. And today we know as believers... Uh, because of the cross, we no longer need a high priest uh, because we have Jesus who's become our great high priest. We no longer need to offer blood sacrifices because Jesus became the sacrifice for our sin. We no longer need to to uh, uh, visit the temple to be near God because Jesus has become our temple. We no longer need to celebrate the Passover because Jesus has become our Passover. And we no longer need to, to live a we live a sinful life because through Jesus now, He's made us holy. He's put His righteousness on us. So the cross was necessary that Christ might fulfill that demand that God had uh, for, for the judgment of sin, to pray the sacrifice for, for sin. But why did God demand 
uh, such a sacrifice, even in the Old Testament, now in the cross. It's for one reason, because God hates sin. God's wrath was going to be poured out upon man as a result of that. And who, if, if, if anyone else were capable of sinning, then he was going to pour that wrath. But man is the only one capable of that, so wrath is poured out upon us. Because the Bible says clearly, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because we're all guilty. All of us, every one of us deserves death. We deserve the wrath of God. And we stop right there. We're, we're, that's a sad, sad state of affairs. But we're not without hope. In fact, this morning in the in the service this morning, and I hope that you, if you were here, I hope you saw that. If not, I hope you watched that. Started preaching through First Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians chapter one verse ten, it says this: "You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait for His Son from heaven. Listen to this: whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What He did on the cross was deliver us from the wrath, the wrath that God was bringing that He's still going to bring." And what that the one way to describe that a good Bible word that we often don't use anymore. We certainly don't use it in our modern English language, but it's used in the Bible many times to describe this taking away the wrath is the word propitiation. Propitiation. Whole lot's packed in that little word. In English, it's hard to translate uh, the meaning of all that word has into our English language. Webster defined it this way. Propitiation is the act of gaining or regaining the favor or goodwill of someone or something or to appease them. So we are gaining the favor of God through through what Christ did for us. Again, there's not a good good one-word definition for that in English. And most of our new translations or modern translations of the Bible don't use the word propitiation anymore. We've used other words that honestly I don't think fulfill what the Bible meant by that word propitiation. That's one reason, again, I'm not trying to sway people just to read the version I read, but that's one reason I like the ESV version, the English Standard Version. It is one of the few, probably maybe the only modern translation that I know of that uses the word propitiation. Still uses that. Didn't substitute it for something else. Let me give you four examples of where that's used in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, you know this passage. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, here comes the word, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness. Then Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore He, meaning Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And then 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And then one other, John 1, 4, 10, verse, 1 John 4, verse 10, In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. So he, again, the word propitiation, to, to, to gain favor or regain favor with God, to appease God, to, to, to take away the wrath that's upon us. So at the cross, the wrath of God and the love of God meet in that God's bringing His wrath, He's punishing sin, at the same time He's sending His Son to take the payment for that. Jesus substituted Himself willingly, suffered and died in our place to forgive us, to love us in spite of our sins, not just in spite of our sins, but also to be to be this propitiation, to divert uh, them uh, uh, th- this punishment towards Jesus and not upon us. And He did not demand upon us a perfect sin, sinful life. Uh, rather, He gave His own perfect sinless life. And so 
What does that mean? What does the cross mean for us? What does it mean for God? Why, why, why again, we've talked about why this happened, but what does it mean for us now? What are the results of that? The cross brought the judgment of God and, uh, upon Jesus because of our sin. He took our place. But that doesn't mean that God overlooked our guilt. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, God, God uh, uh, was kind to us or God was merciful to us because he didn't, he didn't judge us for our sins. He didn't judge us, but he judged Christ for on our on our behalf. The judgment was still paid. The price still had to be paid. It wasn't removed. It wasn't it wasn't canceled. But God still dealt with that. And so this is what what the cross means is that Christ willingly took that place, and that there was still a penalty to be paid. The penalty of sin, the payment was there, uh, even though we didn't we didn't have it placed upon us. And so, in that, not only is that what happened, and we've already talked a great deal about that. But in addition to the fact that the penalty is placed on Christ, Christ then placed upon us His righteousness. Uh, this was very eloquently spoken by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when it says, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin and, and so that we might take on we might take on His robe of righteousness. We might be able to be... Uh, put placed in the place that he's in the cross meant that christ completed all the work necessary for our salvation for forgiveness for redemption he brought to bring us into a right relationship with the father and jesus even said it on the cross when he said it's finished he was completing all this work and all of this is by his marvelous grace not one of us has deserved this favor that God's given us. It's a free gift that He gives to us. And He gives it to everybody who would repent and believe. Everybody who would re repent from their sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift that not only does it do all these things, but it also justifies us. It settles the accounts with God. It means that we've trusted in uh, only in the personal work of Jesus and no one else or nothing else as the object of our faith, righteousness, and justification before God. So I ask you, this is a whole lot to consider. But I hope that's what you've done. When you say I've been saved, is that what you mean? That I have I've placed all my hope in Him. My justification is in Christ. This gift that I have of grace is something I didn't earn, but it's been given to me. Sometimes we misunderstand that. I want to be sure that you know that. I hope that your hope of heaven is based on what Christ has done, what Christ has done alone, not on anything else, not on your goodness. Not on, not on your life of trying to appease God on your own, but that fully trusting in Him and the saving grace that was brought to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about this uh, today in, in this study that I was going to share with you, uh, a song kept coming to my mind. And you know this, if you listen to sermons, I, songs always I'm always thinking about music, uh, even though I'm not a musician. But uh, oftentimes word, songs can speak, uh, and certainly the songs of our faith speak to us as they as they take scripture and they begin to put them to music and sometimes they take several passages of scripture. But one that came to my mind was a fairly new song to me by Charity Gale called Thank You Jesus for the Blood. I hope and I just want to mention this, I hope that when you listen to the songs that we particularly sing on Sunday at Woodland Heights, I hope that you you actually listen to the words. I mean, we have great music musicians. I mean, it's incredible the musicality and how how the folks that put all that together arrange that. But our songs, I hope and always pray that they're rich in theology, rich in truth. We don't just sing something because it's got a good beat. 
uh, I remember back when I was a kid, you know, they would ask on the Dick Clark show, I'm aging myself, why do you like this song? They would say, you can dance to it, it's got a good beat. Well, we don't do that in the church. We're not, we're not singing songs just because of the, of the tune that they have. We, we want it. We want it, and we don't even do them because for tradition's sake, just because we've always sung it. But hopefully, the songs we sing are rich in theology. So I want you to listen to this. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Listen, listen, listen to the words. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Time sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from far from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul from the first time I had hope. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, and then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. I've been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. And then it comes to the chorus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you saved my life, brought me into the, brought me from the darkness into the glorious light. What an awesome thought to think about the blood applied to my life. And I pray that you've experienced that. If not, I would encourage you to talk to somebody. I'd be glad to talk to you about what it means to His blood to be applied to you. And that's what happened on the cross. Now, this is just at least a start, hopefully, for us in understanding what the cross means. I always want to thank you for joining us when we do these, these Sunday talks. Appreciate your listening and watching. I uh, hope it's been a benefit to you. If, you. if it has, I hope you'll let me know and you'll share it with other folks as well. Lord willing, as we continue this series next week, our goal is to talk about what happened after uh, the death of Christ on the cross and His burial. We're going to talk next week, hopefully, about His glorious resurrection. So I hope you will join us again. Thank you. <music>